we, uh, in our case, look for that Messiah to return again and to consummate his kingdom, to rule over us in, in justice and peace, uh, in the fullness of his rule and reign. And yet, the same, uh, by the same token, because he came the first time, we live uh, in the reality of that, that reign presently, although we don't see it, uh, see it fully. And so, uh, we've been talking about, about the longing and, and waiting. Um, this week, we're going to talk about Zechariah. Uh, we're going to talk about um, his, his response to the idea that the Messiah was coming and a story that appears in Luke chapter, Luke chapter 1. We're going to focus mainly at, at verses 57 through, uh, through 80, and I'm going to read those to you, and then I'm going to jump back and give you kind of the... Uh, actually, I will do that now, and I don't even know if this is probably not on the, on the screen, but I'm, I'm going to read it from Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse, uh, verse 5, and then we'll jump to our reading in 57. So here's sort of the, the, the background. In the days of King Herod of Judea, the, there was a priest of Abijah's division named Zechariah. His wife was, was from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. Both were righteous in God's sight, living without blame according to all the commands and requirements of the Lord. But they had no children because Elizabeth could not conceive, and both of them were well along in years. When his division was on duty... And he was serving as a priest before God. It happened that he was chosen by lot, according to the custom of the priesthood, to enter the sanctuary of the Lord and burn incense. At the hour of incense, the whole assembly of people was praying outside. An angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing to the right of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was terrified and overcome with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, because your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear a son, and you will name him John. There will be joy and delight for you, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord and will never drink wine or beer. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit while still in his mother's womb. He will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord, their God. And he will go before them in the spirit and the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of their father to their children and the disobedient uh, to the understanding of, of the righteous to make ready for the Lord a prepared people. How can I know this, Zacharias asked the angel, for I'm an old man and my wife is well along in years. The angel answered him, I am Gabriel who stands in the presence of God and I was sent to speak to you and tell you this good news. Now listen, you will become silent and unable to speak until the days these things take place because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their proper time. Meanwhile, the people were standing, were waiting for Zechariah were amazed uh, that he stayed so long in the sanctuary. When he came out to them, he could not speak. Then they realized he had seen a vision in the sanctuary, uh, making him uh, speechless. And then we're going to skip to 57. Now, the time had come for Elizabeth to give birth, and she had a son. Then her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown his great mercy, and they rejoiced with her. When they came to circumcise the child on the eighth day, they were going to name him Zechariah after his father. But his mother responded, no, he will be called John. Then they said to her, none of your relatives had that name. So they motioned to his father to find out what he wanted him to be called. He asked for a writing tablet and wrote, his name is John. And they were all amazed. Immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue set free. And he began to speak, praising the Lord. Fear came on all those who lived around him. And all, those, all these things were being talked about through the hill country of Judea. All who heard about him took it to heart, saying, What then will this child become? For indeed the Lord's hand is with him. 
Then his father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, Blessed is the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has visited and provided redemption for his people. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, just as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets in ancient times. Salvation from our enemies and from the hand of those who hate us. He has dealt mercifully with our fathers and remembered his holy servant. The oath he swore to our father Abraham, he has given us the privilege since we have been rescued from the hand of our enemies to serve him without fear, in holiness and righteousness in his presence all of our days. And you, child, will be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give his people knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins because of our God's merciful compassion. The dawn from on high will visit us to shine on those who live in darkness in the shadow of death to guide our feet into peace. The child grew up and became spiritually strong, and he was in the wilderness until the day of his first public appearance. This is the story of, of, the, of, of John the Baptist. I don't know if you know the story of John the Baptist, but John the Baptist is a, is, it was sent by God to prepare and make way for the coming of Jesus. He was, uh, he was a precursor. John actually is found uh, preaching in the desert, preaching uh, repentance. Uh, he's found preaching at various times. Jesus actually comes to him, uh, comes to him and asks John to baptize him. So uh, John the Baptist functions literally as a, as a, as a physical preparation. He's born before and, and a spiritual preparation for the coming of Jesus. He is a part of, of what God intends to do and he is a part of the plan. Uh, John uh, the Baptist uh, is, is uh, not only baptized with Jesus, but he makes a confession of Jesus, that, that Jesus is the one whose sandals he is unfit to, to, uh, to, uh, to tie. He, he is the one who, who preaches uh, good news and begins to preach good news that is, that is further fulfilled in, in Jesus. And so the story we have here is the story of how he was conceived and the story of how he was, he was born. It's the story of his father... Uh, a priest, uh, a pastor, if, if you would. The story of his father, uh, uh, a priest, and, and his mother. Both of them righteous. Both of them, both of them um, uh, blessed uh, of God. Both of them viewed by, by God as, as upright. And so they had wanted a child, but they'd not yet uh, been able to, to have a child. And because they could not conceive, she's gotten up there in, in years. And this is the story of how an angel shows up and declares to, to Zechariah that a baby is going to be born to him. He declares this, and Zechariah, though he is a pastor, though he is righteous, though he has all of these things, Zechariah, for some reason, doubts what has been said to him. That's at the point that the angel responds to him, what I think is sort of a classic angel response. He says to him, I'm Gabriel, I'm standing for, before you. Did you not just hear what I had to say? And yet there was doubt in his heart, even though he heard it directly from, from an angel. And he says, I am Zach, I, I'm Gabriel, I have declared to you that this is going to happen. And because you did not believe me, I'm going to shut your mouth. Your mouth will be shut. God's going to shut your mouth until the, uh, until the baby is born because you did not believe he comes out, he had been in doing his kind of, uh, his, his priestly work, he comes out before the people, he can't speak, they're like, he must have had a vision, we don't know what's going on, but that's what happens to him. Time passes, 
Uh, last week, in the last couple of weeks, you remember, we had messages about how uh, the angel appeared to Mary. We had a message about the, about the song that Mary wrote in response to that. That happens chronologically after the events uh, of the beginning of this, after when the angel appears to Zechariah. The, the time passes, uh, and it comes to be that the nine months happen, and the baby is ready to be to be born, uh, as verse 57 says, now the time had come for Elizabeth to give birth, and she had a son. So Zechariah and Elizabeth uh, give birth to the son, while Elizabeth gives birth to the son. We assume that Zechariah is, is there. I don't know their culture. I always used to tease about the good old days when babies were born, and dads got to sit outside uh, in the waiting room and pass out, uh, pass out cigars. Nowadays, we get a much... Uh, a much uh, more intimate view of that of that that situation. I don't know their culture. I don't know where Zachariah is at this time, but the baby is is born. You wonder <laughs> you wonder for Elizabeth's sake what it was like over those those nine months. Was she joyous at Zachariah's inability to speak to her, or was she <laughs> was she lonely? That's another question. I don't know. I don't know the answer to. I feel like. Uh, like, like at times, that might have been good. Uh, I feel also, typically, if their culture is anything like ours, and I think a lot of this is due to, to, uh, to sort of how uh, the male personality is made up, like Zachariah was essentially given the ultimate maleness. I know my wife says to me sometimes, uh, you never want to talk about anything, and... Um, which some of you might seem uh, think is strange because I'm always up here talking, but sometimes at at home I am uh, I, I just don't feel like talking. In Zachariah's case, I am sure that over nine months he wished that he could open his mouth. He wished that he could speak, but he could not. His mouth had been been shut. So the baby is to be born. The baby uh, the baby is born. The neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown this great mercy, and they rejoiced with her. So uh, they hear that the baby's been born. They, figuratively speaking, come up to the hospital. They they give gifts to the baby. There's all kinds of that celebration. Uh, when the day came to circum- when it came time to circumcise the child on the eighth day, they were going to name him Zachariah after his his father. So there's this assumption culturally that they're going to name the baby Zachariah. It's your first child, your firstborn child uh, in this culture should be named after you. It's a good name. It's a family name. Not only that, he's a, he's a, he, he's kind of a miracle baby because you were two old people and two old people don't usually have a baby, and so you should name him Zachariah. But no, uh, the mother responded, no, he shall be called John. Because God had told him, that told them that they should name the baby John. Uh, they said to her, none of your relatives have that name. Who are you naming him after? The name had great, uh, had such great meaning. Names had, had such great power in that time. Like, who are you naming him after? Uh, so they motioned to his father. They can't believe it. They're like, Elizabeth is crazy. She doesn't know what she's talking about. Call over his dad. She'll, he'll set the record, record straight. So they motion to his father uh, to find out what he wanted to be called. He, he says, give me a writing tablet. He writes on it. His name is John. And they were all amazed. They're like, what, what's with this? What, what's going on? Immediately after that, his mouth is opened and his tongue is set free. And he began to speak, praising God. And actually, there, there's, a, there's a long prophecy there. We're not going to deal as much with that, that prophecy, except for to say that it, it is a, uh, an outpouring of the fact that he began to speak praising God. 
Uh, fear came on all the hearts and all those who lived around them. And all these things were talked about throughout the hill country of Judea. All who heard about him took it to heart, saying, What then will this child become? For indeed the Lord's hand was with him. So, essentially, just a super quick recap again. Zechariah, essentially a pastor, he's a minister, he's a priest, he's in the, in the religious service industry, so, so to speak. That's his job. It's his, it's his job to, to follow God and to help other people, other people follow God. He, he is familiar with Scripture, he knows the teaching of Scripture, he's viewed as upright, he's viewed as righteous, so is Elizabeth. They're two old people, however, they want a baby, but they can't have one, an angel shows up and says, Zachariah, you're going to have a baby. Zachariah says, come on, get real, I'm not have, we can't have a baby, we're old, which is a bold move to say to an angel, but Zachariah did it anyways. The angel said, I think I need to remind you exactly who I am and who I work for and who you are. So you're not going to talk for nine months. He closes his mouth, comes out. Nine months later, the baby is born. And at this point, Zachariah, having had nine months to think about it, uh, like when you say to your child, why don't you go, go stand in the corner and think about what you've done? Zachariah has had nine months to think about it and goes, we should probably name this kid John. I've already had this run in with the angel that did not turn out well the first time. Let's go ahead and go with John. They named the baby John because uh, at that point his mouth is opened and it results in praise. That's, that's kind of the story and the idea. We know then that the John who is coming is the John the Baptist. We know that the, the John who is, 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 is coming is going to prepare the way for Jesus. We know that he's going to one day baptize Jesus. We know that he goes out and he preaches repentance. We know that, that he, 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 is, he, is a, uh, he is a large, uh, a looming figure in the Gospels. That is that John. Now, here's what I want to do then for the rest, of, uh, the rest of our time, is I want to apply that story to our present. I want to apply that story to us. And so I want you to, to think about you. I don't know who, who you are uh, personality-wise, but I don't know if you're a planner. I don't know if you're a strategizer. I don't know how much of a thinker you are. I personally am not a detail person, but I am a strategizer. I'm always thinking, what, how would we do this, this, and this, and what are the steps that, that we would take? And so then usually I find other people to deal with, with details, but I'm a strategizer. And so maybe you're a strategizer. Maybe you're a detail person. A detail person is even deeper. It's like, well, this is going to happen. If that's going to happen, then this is going to happen. Then I need to get that to happen, then that. So maybe you're a detailed person. I want to say to you here that the, that the message we're going to get is a message for those of us who are planners and strategizers and other thinkers, whether we are professionally religious, in other words, a pastor, or whether we're just a person who sits in the congregation and a person who is an everyday member of the congregation. What I want to suggest to you is that this is a story that takes up actually most of chapter 1 when you take out the parts about Mary, that this takes up most of chapter 1 in the enduring idea here is that God does not really need our help with strategy and God does not really need our help with the details. 
Now, I point that out to you because this is what happens with Zechariah. Remember, he's a pastor. Uh, I'm uh, I'm updating that. He's He's a priest, but he's essentially a pastor for the people. So he thinks it's his job to do religious things. He also thinks that it's his job to understand, uh, and when I say religious, it's his, 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 his duty to do the sacrifices. It's his duty to, 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 uh, to teach uh, Torah. It's his duty to help people understand the law. It's his duty to help people understand the prophecies about a coming Messiah. It's his duty to do all of these things. And because of that, he's been viewed as righteous, and he is following God. But one of, one of the... Um, one of the things we all have to look out for in life, and especially when we're talking about the things of God, is we have to look out for this idea that we either, one, in our strategy and in our planning, know more than God, or two, are somehow necessary to the plan of God. And so Zechariah comes, though he is righteous, though, though God has, God has, has uh, decided to show him favor, though all of these things, Zechariah, when he gets a message from the angel, decides that he knows more than the angel. He's like, wait, angel, uh, I appreciate what you're saying, but I've been thinking this through, and don't you understand how science works? That's essentially his, his response. Science must work this way because I'm old. How will it happen? And, and the response... From, uh, from the angel is to, is to shut his mouth. And so, so what we have here is a story of a man who, though he is, he is righteous, he has is, he is wrongly decided that the way he has thought about things and the way he understands things can somehow uh, uh, interrupt the plan of God. And he is then also, secondly, misunderstood, as going to be demonstrated, his role in carrying out the plan of God. Because... He, God shows up in the forest by sending an angel. God shows up and says to him, you're going to have a child. He disagrees with that angel. And God says, let me teach you a little lesson about how I do things, Zechariah. Now remember, Zechariah is, 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 is a pastor. Zechariah is the one who makes sacrifices. Zechariah likely has started to think of himself as important to whatever God is trying to accomplish. He started to think of, you know, I'm really needed in what God's go- going to do. I'm really needed here to go and make these sacrifices. I don't know uh, how much teaching Zechariah did, but I am sure as a priest there were times when he counseled people. He spoke to them. He taught to them the taught them the plans of scripture. And God said, Zechariah, because you have chosen not to believe what I've said, and because you viewed yourself as more important than you should have, I'm going to shut your mouth. And I'm going to demonstrate that I'm, you're not really quite as necessary as you think you are in my carrying out your plan. The people don't need your teaching as much as you think they do. The people don't need your, uh, they, they don't need your, your message as much as you think they do. They don't need your counsel so the first thing that happens is there's, there's demonstration by God. I'm God, and I do what God does. And one of the hardest things, I think, for, for humans, especially if you're like me, a, a strategy person, or if you're a detailed person, or maybe all of us, is that we sometimes get confused about our role or our necessity to the plan of God. And so in, in this, God's going to remind Zechariah, just how important and how necessary he was by shutting his mouth. He essentially says, Zechariah, go stand in the corner while I work. So then, I want to point this out to you just as an application. If you are like me, 
If you are uh, prone to, to be thinking about the things that are going to happen and what happens next, specifically I do this in a, in a church context. I'm always thinking about, about things like church planting. I'm thinking about things like what sermon series should we, should we preach next. I'm thinking about things like what discipleship emphasis should we have. I'm thinking about things like what should I say to this person when I counsel them. I'm thinking about these things. But, but occasionally what happens then when I'm doing that is I start to think that if I do not say exactly the right thing, then somehow the plan of God might be deeply or irreparably disrailed. I start to think, what if I speak to a person and I speak the wrong word, and will that somehow wreck the plan of God? What if I, if I make a plan, and, and the plan I make, if it, if it doesn't come off just right, what if it comes off wrong, will that derail the plan of God? I used to... Um, this is a true story. When we used to set up regularly in the, um, in, in the gymnasium, we'd have to set out, set out the chairs and do the chairs. And I like the chairs to be set up a very specific way. When you set up chairs in, in a room, they should not be in straight lines. It doesn't seem friendly, right? And so, believe it or not, like they write articles about this kind of thing for church planters. And what, what we learn is that, that, that the chairs should have a nice angle on them, like a smile. Because when you show up and the chairs are arranged in the smile, you feel very warmed, apparently, and very accepted. And so I, I, it was like the chairs should be in a smile. And I, I kept each week trying to get those chairs to get set up in a smile. But the people who were setting up the chairs routinely would, would not set them. They'd like have them straight. And I'm like, that's not a smile. Or they, they'd have them like an ant. Like, that's not a smile. And so I would go each week and go, who's doing these chairs? Can you get these, these chairs done? And so I used to show up early and, and try and help help with all kinds of setup things until at one point they, they said, here's the deal. If we promise to fix the chairs and other things, will you promise to show up later? <laughs> that was a deal, right? But here's the thing. I, I know in my life that I have oftentimes become convinced that somehow whatever it is that I'm doing is, is so valuable to the plan of God. If somehow I were removed from that plan... If somehow I were taken out of that plan, then the, then the plan of God would be irreparably wrecked. I think we learn a lesson from Zechariah when we read that he, a religious man who chose not to believe, God demonstrated to him that, that his belief was not necessary to God's accomplishment. And there's, So what happens is Zechariah chooses not, or at that moment does not believe, when you choose not to believe in that context, essentially what Zechariah was doing is that God said, I'm going to do this, and Zechariah thought that it was a dialogue, not a monologue. And here's the thing about when God speaks, that's a monologue. It's one person speaking to you. I don't know if you're a parent, but if you've ever said to your child after you asked them to do something and they declined, you say to them, that was not a question, that was a that was uh, a command. I know that, that sounds rough, but that's what it is. I wasn't asking you to clean your room. I was telling you to clean your room. Those are two different things. And sometimes what happens is, is that those of us, uh, because of our innate humanity, because we're human and because our humanity has fallen, we think that when God speaks that he is dialoguing with us. He is not. He is monologuing. He is making a statement. So when God showed up in the scene and said, you will have a baby, he was not showing up to, to brainstorm. He was not showing up to get in a little teamwork with Zachariah. Hi, Zachariah. I'm the angel Gabriel. God sent me to 
see how you feel about this. God sent me to workshop this with you. God sent me, let's have a little team building exercise. Let's write some things on a whiteboard. Let's get some post-its, put them all over. He wasn't doing that. When God spoke and he said, you're going to have a baby, what he meant was, you're going to have a baby. He was not interested in Zechariah's response to that, and he's going to demonstrate it by going, hey, Zechariah, you should have believed. But because you did not believe, what you demonstrated is you thought that you were somehow more important or more involved with my plan than you were. Therefore, go to the corner for nine months and don't talk. Now, verse 57 then, the time had come to give birth, and she had a son. See, God does what God wants to do. It's one of my favorite sayings. He's God, and he does what he wants. We can, we can do, uh, we can, uh, it would not hurt all of us to often remind ourselves each morning that we are followers of God, and God does what he wants. He's God, he does what he wants. Now the time has come, Elizabeth gives birth to the baby, Zachariah is there to see it, he's there to celebrate it, but he has to do it in mind, because he can't talk. And he didn't even get to add any suggestions to how this would happen. But the baby is born. So I gave you, gave you the, the, the bad news, so to speak, which is this, is that the plan of God is not dependent upon you. In fact, I'm going to say something to you that you might think an odd thing to say, but I want you to understand this and hear this. God does not need you. In, for the accomplishment of God's plans, you're not necessary. Right? You're not a link in a chain that, is, that if they take out your link, the plan's not going to happen. God is God. He does what he wants. In this case, he wants for the baby to be born, and the baby is born. He doesn't need Zachariah's belief. He doesn't need Zachariah's help. He doesn't need Zachariah's input. He doesn't need Zachariah for this to happen. He is God, and he does what he wants. Now, I point that out to you because... Because... One, it should, be, it should be a confrontation to those of us, uh, and maybe you're not like this, but then I will just say that to those of us who are, those of us who think that we live life in, in an eternal dialogue with God who we talk to as though he were one of our peers, as if he needed our input and he needed our help. He does not. If God did not need the help, in the days of Zechariah, when he was about to bring about the birth of John the Baptist supernaturally through two old people, then he does not need your help to do whatever he is going to do in your life tomorrow. He is God. He does what he wants. So there is a confrontation there and a reminder. Do not think yourself too important. Do not think yourself too great. There is also a great encouragement here. Because the flip side of this is, is that when God declares what he will do, when God says what he will do, he will do it. And it becomes great news. And the reason it becomes great news is because even though sometimes in my head I convince myself that I am important in the plan of God, I convince myself that if I don't do my role, if I don't do my part, then the, God of plan, the plan of God will be irreparably harmed. The reality is, is that I'm a messed up human who often doesn't follow through and often doesn't accomplish what I want. And so here's the good news. You are not needed for the plan of God, but neither can you derail the plan of God. So just as a parenthesis here, I'm not encouraging you not to desire to be a part of the plan of God. In fact, we said in week one of this sermon series, you remember, that to be favored of God, in Mary's case, was to be used in his plan. I am simply reminding you of this fact. Neither, do not think yourself so important that God cannot accomplish what he wants to without you. But also, 
take heart. He's aware of your weakness. He's aware of your frailty. He's aware of your humanity. He's aware uh, of all of that. And if he should choose to use you, if you should, should in your humanity not be perfect, you cannot derail the plan of God. Sometimes I hear people say, if I, if I would have just said that different to them, they would have believed. If I would have just done this different, then this would have happened. If I would have just done this, then this would have happened. I want to encourage you to lean wholeheartedly into the sovereignty of a God who does what he wants always and brings it about perfectly and always exactly how he wants it. One, to keep you from thinking that you're too important, but two, to keep you from falling into a place of depression because you can't measure up. There is good news here. God carries out his plan, and you can't disrupt it. I'll tell you this, that two days before uh, Haley was born, two days before our oldest daughter was born, my nephew, uh, who was 11 months old, died of, of SIDS, uh, sudden infant death. And, um, and we had been waiting, I don't think, I think Haley was a little early, and our prayer after that was like, please God, don't let her be born right now. But God in his, his plan said, no, I'm going to go with now. And she was born, and we walked through that. I remember sobbing, going, I don't know if I'm crying for joy at a baby or for sorrow at a death. I, I couldn't tell. But one of, the, one of the outcroppings of that, one of the, one of the things that happened from that is that I, I became gripped with an extreme fear that if I laid Haley down for too long, that, that she would die. And so every night for the six, first six months of her life, about, I, I had a, I had a, uh, a routine. The routine was this, is that I would go, put her into bed, make sure I arranged her perfectly, make sure that there was no way the blanket could, could, could slide over her, her mouth or anything, make sure that she was perfectly on her back, uh, make sure that uh, there was nothing that would accidentally roll her onto her stomach, which, uh, especially as a newborn, is not even possible. But I would go every night so that I would put her down, and then I would come in, I would go get into bed. I would go get into my own bed, and I would lay in my own bed for approximately 10 minutes. After laying in my own bed for approximately 10 minutes, I would get out of bed, I'd get back up, and I would go. And I would always do this, and people say, that's crazy, you had a sleeping baby. She'd be sleeping, and I would pick her up and hold her every night to make sure that she was breathing. Then I would put her back down, and I would repeat that whole scenario, again and again and again. And so what happened was, for the first six months of her life, I was gripped by fear and I was gripped by this worry that, 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 that we'd lay her down and she'd stop breathing. And I got in my head this idea that somehow if I, if I was just there at the right moment and if I was always right there and if I was vigilant enough and if I worked hard enough and I tried hard enough, then, then that, 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 that she would keep breathing, that there was no way that she could die. And so somewhere around the age of six months, God spoke to me. And he spoke to me by saying what I've said to you. I'm God. I do what I want. In the goodness of this reality that God does whatever he wants was the first time in months that I laid my head on a pillow and slept. Because here is a reality that is both fearsome and joy-producing. If God should choose, there is not a thing in the universe that could take the breath of my child. And yet if God should choose, there was not a thing in the universe that could give breath to my child. 
it was all held in his hand. And at that moment, I had to become convinced of this, that he was in control, he was in charge, that God does what he wants. And also I knew because I met Jesus when he was young. And through Jesus, I knew God, I knew this, that God was good. And that I could trust his goodness, I could lean in it. I want you to hear this, this, the first part, which is, which is don't think yourself too important to the plan of God so that you don't become arrogant. So that, but I want you to also hear this. Don't think that you can somehow overwhelm the plan of God. And I want you to hear that as good news because we are fallen and we live in our fallenness and we live in our brokenness and we live in our struggle. But I want you to hear this truth that God does what he wants and he's good. And so in this case, the baby's born. And God, God has the baby be born. And Zechariah finally demonstrates his, demonstrates his belief by writing his name is John. And God opens his mouth. And what is Zechariah's response? His response is, his tongue was set free and he began to speak, praising God. This is the correct response because what I want you to hear is this. You're not so important to the plan of God that you can derail it. But you are not so beyond, beyond in, 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 your, in your actions. You're not so fallen in your actions that even when you disbelieve the plan of God, that he is not willing, able to demonstrate grace, love, and kindness to you. And so what I want you to hear is this, is that God, even, even if you're like Zechariah, even if you choose to disbelieve God, even if you choose to ignore God, even if you choose, choose to go in a different direction to God, here's the good news, that the God of all grace is not even dependent upon your actions to display grace to you. you God is not dependent upon your actions to bring salvation to you. God is not dependent upon your actions to love you. God is not dependent upon your actions to bless you. And that's what happened in the case of Zechariah. Zechariah essentially fell by disbelieving God. The angel had to shut his mouth, but it did not keep God from fulfilling his plans. And in the fulfillment of his plans, it did not keep God from showing his good grace to Zechariah. Your fallenness cannot derail the plans of God, even if those plans are, as it says in Jeremiah 29, 11, I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, plans for good and not for evil. Or as it says in a song we often sing, his plans are still to prosper. He's not forgotten us. God's grace is not dependent upon your action. God's grace is not dependent first upon your response to it. In fact, God is a giver of grace. He brings grace into a person's life. And when he does that, then, then our tongues are set free. Then we begin to speak. Then we praise God. That's the rest of this passage. Zechariah goes on to prophesy about how God has raised up a horn of salvation, the horn of David for salvation. Uh, he goes on uh, 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 a horn of salvation for us. He goes on to talk about how it's going to be in the, in the house of his servant David. Uh, he talks about how the prophets have come and salvation from their enemies have come. He's dealt mercifully with his fathers. He's remembered his holy covenant. The oath he swore to his father Abraham. All of that happens. God chooses to continue to shower his grace upon Zechariah, even though Zechariah chose to disbelieve God. And I want you to hear 
A message that sounds kind of like radical grace. And I want you to hear a message that may sound like it goes too far. But I want you to hear this, that the grace of God is not dependent upon anything in you. It's not dependent upon any action from you. In fact, you are fallen and I am fallen. Most days what we do is not, is not pleasing to God. Most days our hearts don't naturally believe. Most days our hearts don't naturally praise. Most days our actions are self-motivated. Most days our actions are sinful. Most days we think only of ourselves. Most days, even when we're trying to demonstrate love to others, it's actually a codependent kind of fake love that we're giving because we're getting something from it. My point is we are by and large, a fallen, we're all a fallen, broken people. And by and large, our actions are in line with that a lot of days. And so we say, what then? Is there any help for us if I'm that broken? If I'm that fallen, can anything, can anything happen? Here's what happens. The message of Zechariah is this. Zechariah chose to not believe, and God chose to demonstrate his grace. What did Zechariah do to bring about the grace? Stood in a corner with his mouth shut. What did Zechariah do to earn the grace? Nothing. How did Zechariah contribute to the grace? He didn't. Why does Zechariah praise? Because he believes and grace comes? No, because grace comes and then he believes. That's, that's the hand of God. And so, to recap this here, here's what I'm saying. I want you to remember that that in this this season, as we wait and we long, there's coming a day when Jesus will return and He's going to make all things new. Day by day, I long for that more and more. And yet, on this earth, we are called to follow God. We're called to serve Him. We're called to love Him. And I want you to desire that. I want you to desire to be, to be used by God. I want you to desire the favor of God that results in you being involved in His plan. But I want you to hear this. You have done nothing to be worthy of it. You've done nothing to earn it. And there's not a single second, there's not a single bit, there's not a single molecule in what, what God is that needs your help in accomplishing his plan. He will do what he does. He is God. And just like Zechariah said, how can this be? Often days God says, I'm going to bless you and I'm going to do this. And we say, but how? And all we see is the barriers and all we see is the blockades. And God says, stand aside, fool. Go to the corner and watch what I'm about to do. And the greatest news of the universe is that God does what he chooses. And what he chooses is to shower his grace on the undeserving and causing them to well up a sort of belief that results in praise and worship. So I want to encourage you, do not think yourself so big that God needs you. He doesn't need your details and he doesn't need my strategy. He doesn't need your planning and he doesn't need your help. He doesn't need any of it. If he chooses to use you, worship him, but he doesn't need it. But secondly, if you're trying to serve him and you mess up, if you're trying to serve him and you fall, if you're trying to serve him and, 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 and what you offer falls short, I want you to hear this too. Everything we offer falls short. Everything. But God in his goodness is not dependent on our contribution to accomplish his plan. Then lastly, I want you to hear the overarching reason why is this. Because God has chosen to shower his grace on the broken, the sick, the angry, the hurting, the rebels. And when he gives his grace, it springs up, it causes belief which wells up in worship. May we be a people who worship 
a grace-giving God. And if he favors us with involvement in his plan, may we serve as well as we can, realizing that he is not dependent upon us. He will accomplish what he wants. And if we choose not to believe, we're still going to watch and see because history ends with every knee bowed, every tongue confessing that Jesus Christ is Lord. And there's not a thing we can do about it. Pray with me.